Amen. Amen. Everybody say the end. Who's freaked out about the end? Uh, thank you for some hands. Who's afraid of the end? Pastor Andrew talked last week about coming home and I calling through the house trying to find people and being afraid that he was the one left behind. That was funny, wasn't it? Unless it's you. <laughs> Unless you're the one trying to find somebody and you're, you're, you're convinced that you're the one that, that was left behind. Everybody else has gone to heaven. Yeah, I was raised in church too, so I know those experiences where you have that, that where your, your stomach actually almost comes out your mouth. It's just, it, things go sideways, you get that, that panicked feeling. My mom always sang all the time and played the piano, and, and we lived across the street from elementary school, and when, I think my sister was in the fifth or sixth grade with Mrs. Hawk, is that, is that her name, the teacher? She would, my mom did never needed a microphone. She had lungs. She could sing, and she liked to sing and play the piano, and she would sing all the old gospel songs. And, and she would open, like, the main door of the house, so the screen door was just there, and you could hear her. We lived across the street from elementary school, and my sister's teacher would open the windows so she could hear my mom sing and play. That's not mortifying for a sixth grader at all. <laughs> yeah, that's petrifying is what that is. You're embarrassed and want to leave. You'd never want to come back doesn't matter if she's good or not. She's singing about Jesus, and you're in school with your classmates. So, yeah, that's how that went down. So my, my mom sometimes, we, we would sit in the living room, and she would sing songs about, about going to heaven and about all this stuff. And, and if you weren't raised on fear, I knew I was going to hell. I was like eight, nine years old, and I was convinced I was going to hell. And I would hold on to her legs. <laughs> No lie. And I would say, if Jesus takes you, I'm going to hold on and go. <laughs> you know what she said? Most of us say, that's okay, honey. You can go. <laughs> no. <laughs> she said, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> she said, if I go and you're not ready, you're going to be right here. <laughs> and I was holding on to her legs. And then she would tell me, you know, how I could get ready, and I, I wasn't ready for all that, and I didn't even like church. I hated church. I hated going to church. I was embarrassed to go to church, because going to church wasn't cool like it is now. Back then, I'm talking in the 70s, y'all, early 80s. And I would hold on to her legs, and one time I remember I was sitting there. I guess she hadn't shaved her legs that morning. And I, I'm sitting there holding on to her legs, I'm like, I'm like, Mom, that's rough. Smack. <laughs> <laughs> she smacked me in the head. But I was scared of the end. Mm -hmm. Church was scary for me. It just was. I tried to sleep through it as much as I could. As much as they would let me. It seemed like there was always a scary story to get me to pray every time somebody preached. Can anybody relate with that? Let me say this, that we're talking about the end and what happens at the end of, of time and the end of our life. And this, this is not about scaring you. Scaring someone into prayer is not productive. It does not stick. It does not last. Trust me, I know this. I shouldn't do what I do. I shouldn't try to be who I'm trying to be because I don't want to go to hell. 
Does that make sense? And hell is real. It's a real place, and there will be a ton of people there. But I shouldn't do what I'm doing because I don't want to go to hell. I should do what I'm doing because I love Jesus and because of what he's doing for me, what he's done for me, and what he's going to do for me. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be there too. That's what this is all about. I heard a preacher say this week that when we know God, a lot of us know about God. But when we really know God and realize what he can do and what he wants to do in our life, that we'll stop running from our problems. When David went out to fight Goliath, it's because everybody had run back away from him. Because they didn't realize that God was on their side, and they may not even have realized what he could do or what he wanted to do. But David was in tune with, with who God was. He was in tune with what God wanted to do, and he's like, who, do you, who does God think he is? This little runny teenager, and he was like, who does he think he is that he's going to stand there and mock God's people? So he's like, I know God. I know what he can do, and he marched out there and killed this giant. When we realize what God can do through us, Instead of running from our problems, we're going to face those things head on, and we're going, to, we're going to slay them, and we're going to see a huge difference in our life. But let's get back to the end. Let's start by reiterating this. No one knows. Everybody say, no one knows. <laughs> Jesus will come back for us. He's going to appear, and we're going to go with him, and we're going to be in the place that he's prepared for us, and, and it's going to be paradise for the rest of, of, of time. We won't be limited to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth. We will be with Jesus forever. But nobody knows when the end is. Matthew 24 says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Don't try to figure it out because you're wasting your time because he's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you. Don't listen to anyone who says they know. Is that okay? Don't listen to anybody who says they know when Jesus is coming back because they don't have a clue either. There was a dude that wrote a book in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1988. That was 29 years ago. Guess what? He was wrong. Why? Because nobody knows. There were people that thought Jesus would come back during Y2K or before that because no computers were going to ever work again. Guess what? That was 17 years ago and change. There were people that thought the world was going to end according to, was it the Mayan calendar in 2012? There's a cool movie about it, but guess what? That was five years ago. No one knows. They said the end would come in 2012. Well, now we're, a, we're, we're mostly, th I'm saying this, mostly through 2017. A couple of weeks ago, I heard somebody say that, that Jesus couldn't come today. I'm like, what? And he, it's preacher preaching in a pulpit and said, if he does come back today, he's a fraud. I'm like, let me stand back from you. Because lightning and all that. <laughs> I'm not that dumb or that bold. 
And I, I really honestly, in, with, with some things, and I'm not trying to shake your confidence in me or who I am, but the older I get, realize how much I don't really know. Is that okay to say? The older I get, sometimes I realize I don't know as much as I thought I did. And I will tell you, I do not know. I don't have the slightest clue. I'm not even going to try to figure out when Jesus is going to come back. What I am going to do is I'm going to take this whole no one knows thing literally, and I'm going to live every single day like he's coming back today. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because he just might. He may not come back for two more generations. I don't know. But if he doesn't come today, I'll believe he's going to. Why? Because that's just a smart thing to do. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world to get that. Read scripture. There are signs to see and they're all around us. We see a lot of stuff happening around us today, right now. Be vigilant. Live like he's coming back today. Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know when. You don't know what day your Lord will come, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have had the shotgun out. Or something, a baseball bat. Or had the cops there ahead of time. Something would have happened if the thief had known, if the, if the homeowner had known when the thief was coming. He would have kept watch and would not have let his house been broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We have to be ready all the time. Let me ask them another question right now. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to meet Jesus right now? So the end, it can be really freaky. And we're going to get into some stuff today that just, it's, it's awesome, but it's, it's freaky. I'm not going to lie. If you aren't a believer, it can be scary. If you are a believer and living like Jesus is coming today, the end should increase your faith. If you're following Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. You have everything to be excited about. And your faith should be increased by what you read and what you hear. Why? Because it underscores everything that God has done for you and how much he loves us. That's what this is. The book of Revelation is revealing Jesus and it's revealing what's going to happen and how, how we're going to come about being with him. That's all that book is about. And that should excite believers. It's all about, the book of Revelation is all about the end. Everybody say the end. And it reads a little bit like a Lord of the Rings novel. Who's seen Lord of the Rings? The movies? Some of y'all. When I was like eight years old, my dad, is, we, we, didn't ha- we never had TV in our house. And, and he bought me this, this record set. Who remembers records, the big ones? He bought me this record set, and it had this, this book. It was like this big, and it was The Hobbit. And it was like six or seven records, and it had the, the page you could turn and look at the pictures with, with the guy you know, with telling a story and the music playing, and, and I got hooked on The Hobbit. And when Lord of the Rings came out, I was excited because that's, that's part of the whole, the whole story. It's like after The Hobbit. And then they came out with The Hobbit, and I watched it with my dad, and it was pretty cool because we got to talk about all the records and stuff like that, so it was pretty nostalgic and very cool. But the book of Revelation kind of reads like Lord of the Rings. Not exactly, but some of the same type of things happen. And, and yeah, it can be a, a little bit freaky. Who likes apocalyptic movies? Day After Tomorrow, 2012, those things like that where the world is ending and people got to save the world. Yeah, I like those. So the book of Revelation 
I, I realize not everybody has been following Jesus for 40 years, and you may not know a lot of this stuff, but some of the things in the book of Revelation, I don't have time to do this justice today, but I'm considering doing a small group in the near future about Revelation, but it, it talks about seals and trumpets and angels and beasts and swords and 666 and all this stuff, and all that stuff's real. Eschatology was my favorite class. It was my favorite class. Our professor had a, a head of shiny white hair. I mean, it was brilliant white, like mine's about to be. And when he was reading about what Jesus was going to look like in Revelation chapter 1, it talked about his hair being like white wool. I'm like, that's, it. that's dude's hair right there. That's what Jesus is going to look like, except without the big, thick glasses. I'm just saying. <laughs> the book was written by John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was the last living disciple of Jesus. Judas committed suicide. The other ten were martyred. They were killed for their faith. John was the last one alive. And when the emperor said, bow down and worship me as God, he's like, I've seen God and you ain't him. Forget John walked with Jesus. That's God in flesh, right? And he's like, I've seen God and this is, you're not God and I'm not going to worship you. So he was, he was exiled. To the Isle of Patmos. And this, this is where the angel appeared to him. And this is where he wrote the book of Revelation. And it's about 95 AD. So over 1900 years ago. So next time you feel old. You got nothing on the book of Revelation. Over 1900 years ago this book was written. So here we go. Revelation 1. I'm, I'm going to give you an overview. And we're going to talk about some specific things here. And, and where we are and what's going on. And, and, and what the end is going to look like for all of us. And Revelation 1 through 3, it's about Jesus. He's coming back. Chapter 1, verse 7, 8. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Notice the, the differentiation here between what Pastor Andrew talked about last week when Jesus comes back and takes us out of here. This every eye will see him. This is something different. This is the next time he comes, and it's not going to be pleasant for everybody. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him will see him. And, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He's, he's telling us his identity right there. And as you read through chapter 1, you're going to see that some of this passage is not literal. When it talks about a sword coming out of his mouth, it's not the circus. It's not Ringling Brothers. There's not going to be a physical sword coming out of his mouth. Hebrews, said, Hebrews 4, you don't have the scripture, says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's, that's depicting the word of God coming out of Jesus' mouth. That's, what that, that's a, a figurative description of the word of God coming out of his mouth. So this, this is what, so you've got to take some of it literal and some of it figurative. So, so you have to discern a little bit here. So it can be confusing a little bit. So as you, as you read through this, we're coming, this is us coming back with Jesus in this. It, it says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's like the Greek alphabet, the beginning and end. It'd be our A and our Z. So, and this chapter also includes seven letters to the churches that, that John was given. And as, after he was released from exile, he was able to hand deliver those letters to the churches directly from God. That's Revelation 1 through 3. Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus is depicted as the Lamb of God. 
Mentioned 28 times about him being the Lamb of God. Why? Because he was a sacrificial offering for our sin. He bore our sin, our iniquity. He bore all of our shame. That's, that's what he is or what he, what he is to us right now. He bears our iniquity. And that's Revelation 4 and 5. And Revelation 6 through 18, that's a, that's a big span right there. He is the righteous judge. And we'll talk about this more in depth in a minute. But Jesus righteously judges the earth. And this is the prophetic, scary, end-time stuff that people talk about. This is, this is where this, this stuff happens right here. Um, here's some highlights. In chapter 6, Jesus opens the seals to reveal the four horsemen. Not wrestlers. Nobody from the 80s or 90s? Okay, it's fine. This is where the, 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 the four horsemen of the apocalypse come out. And chapter 7 talks about the 144,000 that will be saved from what's to come. Chapter eight, chapters 8 through 11 talks about the trumpets that are going to sound. The trumpets are events. One scholar that I follow believes that the first five trumpets have already happened. Already happened. And there are seven. And if you read his stuff, he goes back and has very compelling arguments for different trumpets that have already sounded and events that have happened in history to get us where we are today. So if, if five have already happened, the next one, the sixth trumpet, is a war beginning around the Euphrates Valley. The Euphrates River Valley, a war happening right there. And it's, going, it's supposed to involve 10,000 times 10,000 times 2, 2 million people. Is what this war is supposed to involve. And, and as I was studying for this, this just this week, uh, it was the 24th, a British general made this remark. If you follow the news, you know that in Iraq, around the Euphrates River Valley, that Mosul was recently liberated from ISIS, right? Remember that? Well, there are still some pockets and towns that they hold. And this British general said that the, the last battle... This is a, a quote this week that I read. The last battle to extinguish ISIS, to get rid of this, this enemy that we're facing right now, will happen in the Euphrates River Valley. Those exact words. Isn't that interesting? Coincidence? Maybe. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. But I'm aware. I'm alert. Why? Because I know what's coming. Because I know what happens when all this happens. Some of y'all just got quiet and scared right there. After the sixth trumpet happens, guess what happens after that one? Jesus comes back for his church. <gasps> That's exciting. But some of y'all don't feel excited right now. But that's, that's if, if five have really happened, and they're talking about the sixth one maybe beginning, then that means the seventh one isn't far away. And before the seventh one happens is, is where this guy predicts that Jesus will come back for his church. That's, I'm just letting you know what's going on. So let's move forward. In chapter 11, the Jewish temple is rebuilt, like the one in the Old Testament where they offer sacrifices. Uh, two witnesses are appointed by God to preach the word to try to get more people saved, to get people to repent. And these just aren't two witnesses. They're like two old-time prophets. And they have special powers. Not Jedi powers, but special powers. Listen to this. Just by their voice, they will cause the sky to dry up and no rain during their ministry. No rain. 
They can turn water to blood and call down plagues from heaven like in, in Moses' day. That's what these two guys can do. When people try to attack them, fire comes from their mouth and their enemies are consumed. That's Old Testament kind of stuff going on right there. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. This, this is what the, the book says. This is what the Bible says. This is what these guys can do. And then in, in that same, after, all the, after their ministry, the beast comes from the pit and overwhelms them and kills them. They lay, in, they lay in the square for three days and nobody will touch their bodies. And then guess what happens to them? They resurrect. That's chapter 11. <laughs> in chapter 13, the Antichrist rises and institutes the mark of the beast. That's the, the 666 everybody talks about. And the Antichrist, you won't find the word Antichrist in the Bible. He's referred to as the beast. Okay, so that's who this person is. And the Bible says that, that his, he will institute a mark that we have to receive or that people have to receive in order to buy or sell. And you, if you don't have it, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. Food, water, everything. And he controls everything. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. But the Bible says it will happen, so guess what I believe? That it will happen. Does it mean you're going to get a black stamp on your hand that says 666 or on your forehead? No. That's, I, I doubt things happen like that. But I don't know how they're going to happen. Who has, a, who has a pet that's chipped? My dog is chipped. I'm sorry, my wife's dog is chipped. How easy would that be? Just slide a little rice-sized thing under your skin here, and there's your, there's your identification. There's your bank account. There's everything you have. Wouldn't that be convenient? I was recently in conversation with some believers I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. It'd be so easy. I'm like, huh? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's serious. I don't know that's how it happened, but it sure makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense? It does. So that's what's, that's what's going to happen. And in chapter 13, the Antichrist is actually killed, and then he's resurrected. This guy will claim to be God. And he will perform miracles, and he will do things. He'll bring world peace, and he'll calm everything down. He will make everybody, not love everybody, but he will bring peace to the world. And people will think that he is God, and he will want to be worshipped. But that's not who he is. Chapter 16 and 17 describes the assassination, the assassination of world leaders and the one world government. It will happen. We are proud, and we are, we are proud of our heritage, and we, we are proud to be Americans, Right? Stars and stripes. We are. But eventually there will be a one world government where we will kneel to somebody else. Because I don't think that we'll be the leaders. So that's what happens in, in 16 and 17. The battle of Armageddon happens and then the Antichrist is defeated. Remember in this segment that Jesus is the righteous judge. In, verses, in chapter 6 to 8, the four riders, the apocalypse come, the, the moon turns to blood, uh, red, uh, turns blood red, bloodshed from war. In chapters 8 and 11, the trumpet judgments, water contamination, locusts, hail, fire. In chapter 16, the bowl judgment, sores appear on the people with the mark of the beast. Water turns to blood, the sun scorches people, devastating earthquakes, 100-pound hail balls fall from the sky. That's a bad time. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Doesn't seem fair. How can a God of love do all this stuff? You're like, why? What are you saying? Let me tell you something. This is fair. Who knows someone that did something horrible 
that got away with it. We all do. There was no consequence. We know it shouldn't be that way. We know wrong should be punished. My sister told me a story this week that Isaiah started first grade. And if you don't know Isaiah, he's lively. He gets around. He's excitable. And he has a hard time sitting still and a hard time not talking. So his teacher has this thing in her class where if you misbehave, you move your name to a warning, and then you move your name to something else, and then the next one down is a parent contact. So he came home his first week of school, real school. He'd been in preschool before this. He came home this week and said, Mom, I, I, I don't know what he said, but some, things went sideways, or I was bad, or I did something, and I was one step away from the parent contact. He said, I knew I had to get that back up there. He said, so I was good. And by the end of the day, I was off warning. And that's good. That teaches, that teaches good behavior. But even at six years old, he knows that what he does, his actions have consequences. And we are born in sin. We're shaping in iniquity. There has to be consequence for wrong and for sin. And unlike what most people like to believe, listen to this, hear this, absorb this. Unlike what most people like to believe, heaven is not, everybody say not, it's not our default destination. Ouch. Just because we're a nice person doesn't get us to heaven. Just because we do good things doesn't get us to heaven. Just because we come to church does not get us to heaven. Heaven is not our default destination. Why? Because we need a Savior. And Jesus is the, he was, he is the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice that bore all of our sin and all of our iniquity. And we don't get to heaven just because we're nice. We get to heaven through the new birth experience and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why baptism is so important. Because we're taking on the name of Jesus Christ. We're, we're identifying with him. We're being dead to our sin, buried in his name, and resurrected to new life. That's the whole point of what baptism does for us. We're identifying in the process that Jesus went through to save us. Don't mean to bust anybody's bubble, but just heaven is not the default destination. It must be your theology or something like that, but that's just not what, it's not what it is. But it can be your default destination if you know Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to scare you into doing something. We're not trying to, to, to scare you about, what, about what's, what's going to happen. We're trying to give you hope for what can happen. Because all the stuff I just said will happen. But what can happen is you being with Jesus and not having to endure this stuff. Does that make sense? We get to heaven through Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am what? The life. And that's how we get to heaven is through him. At this point, the world is being judged for its sinfulness. At the time that this happens, the world will have had an opportunity to either accept or reject Jesus. You know people who have accepted Jesus. You know people who have rejected Jesus. We do know this. We know people who, want, who said, I, I tried that, I saw that, I want nothing to do with it. That's their decision. 
That's their choice. You can't make this decision for them. You can't live their life for them. If they don't change their mind, they will endure this. Because actions have consequences. And God, in this segment from chapter 6 to 18, Jesus is the righteous judge that will judge everyone on this earth. He's the righteous judge. Revelation 16, 5 says, Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, Lamb of God. That's who he is. And this leads us to the end. And it begins in chapter 19. Jesus returns with his church. It's, it's the depiction of, of, of what, what John saw in Revelation 1. And, and Jesus returns, but he returns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he defeats the beast. In Revelation 19, 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. That's Jesus on this white horse, not the Lone Ranger. Right? He's the king. He's the king of kings. Verse 14 says, his name is the word of God. That's what verse 14 says. Further solidifying his identity, because in John 1 it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So chapter 19 begins all this. In chapter 21 and 22, Jesus is, he, he transitions from being the righteous judge to being the bridegroom. Everybody say the bridegroom. Verses 1 through 5 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what he's made for us. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Everybody, anybody ready for that? There will be no more death. Who's ready for that? Who's got some people that you wish hadn't died and you want to see again that you, and that you know are, are with Jesus, right? There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Anybody ready for that? For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus, when he said, I'm going away to prepare a place that where I am, you can be there also. This is it. Where there's no more pain. It's, it, you need to read down further in chapter 21. Because it describes it. It describes what it's going to look like. Is it literal? I don't know. I can't tell you because it's like, it's like jasper and pearl and streets of gold. I don't know if it's literal or not or if it's just figurative. I have no idea, but I know it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. That's what I know. It's, and, and it seems, to me, it seems ridiculous to call heaven awesome. It seems ridiculous for me to call heaven great because I know that no matter what 
limited word and vocabulary I have in our language that is going to far surpass and exceed anything that I could even imagine. That's what it's going to be like. And I know nobody's going to die. I know nobody's going to be sick. There won't be cancer anymore. You won't ever have a headache again. You won't hurt. No sickness, no pain, no financial problems. Come on, somebody. That's a battle we'd rather leave forever, right? No financial problems. No arguments. For those of you who love to argue, I'm sorry. But that will be heaven to me. I hate arguing. Some of y'all really enjoy it. bad. No arguments. Scripture says it doesn't need a sun because the glory of God illuminates heaven and we're going to be there with him. We're all going to get crowns. How cool is that? You might tilt your sideways. You might put it back on your head. You may bring it down in front of your eyeballs. I don't know. I don't know how you'll wear your crown. But you won't care if somebody's prettier than yours. And if yours is prettier than somebody else's, you won't gloat over them because yours is going to be happy to be there. And the Bible says we're going to be so overjoyed to be there that we'll take that crown and cast it at Jesus' feet. Just because we're happy to be there. Just because we realize what he has saved us from and what he's given us. See, this isn't about avoiding hell. This isn't about being scared of the apocalypse. It's not about, about being scared of, of hail balls and boils and, and the mark of the beast. Who cares? It's not about any of that. It's about me living like Jesus is coming today because he's prepared something for me that far surpasses anything else that I could ever imagine that I'm just focused on that. And if all I do is focus on the negative stuff and, and the scary stuff and the Lord of the Rings stuff and the people breathing fire and killing people, I'm going to be scared out of my mind. I won't be able to sleep at night. Do you know that in the Battle of Armageddon that blood is going to, is, is going to flow as deep as a horse's belly? That's a lot of dead people. But guess where I don't have to be worried about? I don't have to worry about that. Why? Because I'm just focusing on what he's done for me. And I, that blood won't be mine. Why? Because nothing else is important. Nothing else in this world is as important as my salvation. Amen. Nothing. It comes above every single thing else I will ever encounter in this world. Nothing. No person, no relationship, no sibling, no spouse, no child can come above my salvation. Why? Because this is what God has done for me, and I intend to be there. And, and when we live like this, and we're, we're focused on what he's done for us, and we're focused on the end game and where he's taking us, we, there's a difference in coming to church and being saved and living for God. When we understand this difference and when we realize what he's done for us and we, and, and we stop just trying to be a Christian and we start living for God, that's when life change happens. 
That's when lifestyle change happens because at that point, you're just trying to affect as many people as possible to take people with you. Why do you think we do what we do every single week? It's to get as many people as possible to go where we're going. The Bible says to go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come. That's pretty serious verbiage right there. Verse 27 says that nothing impure will ever enter heaven. That means once we're there, nothing, it's, it's impenetrable. Nothing negative, nothing impure, nothing harmful, nothing ugly will ever be able to enter in there. See, this is where I am. I, I don't do this trying to avoid hell. I don't care about hell except I don't want people to go there. Make no mistake, it's real. But I do what I do. I am who I am because of what Jesus has done for me and what he's promised me for my future and for my eternity. We talk about all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have to give you an expected end. Yes, that's favor on earth, but we get so wrapped around the axle about living, here, living well on earth that we don't think about what's next. Well, this is what's next. And that's the eternity that he has planned for us. It's forever. So that's it. The events leading to the end. So what's God saying to us today? The same thing he's been saying from Genesis until now. In 2717, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus said, I will give you water that when you drink of this water, you will never be thirsty again. What is that? It's his spirit. So whoever's thirsty, take advantage of this free gift. It's the good news. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's the living water. You will never, ever, ever be thirsty, that kind of thirsty again. Acts 2.39 says, The promise is unto you and to your children and to those that are far off. It's for everybody. You know there's more to life than just existing. You know there's more than what you've experienced so far. And this is it. This is the promise. The Spirit says, come. Come now. Come as you are. He won't leave you like you are, but you can come as you are. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what your baggage is. Come as you are and let Him take care of the details. Let Him forgive your sin. Become a new creature. So what is at the end and what does Jesus say at the end of Revelation, verses 20 and 21, the last scriptures in the Bible? He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I'm coming soon. What did Pastor Andrew say last week? Maranatha. That's what it is. <laughs>